Luke chapter 6 and verse 8 through 11. The Bible says that Jesus, he was in, in the synagogue just as he usually was, and he had been preaching. And all of a sudden he sees a man with a withered hand, and he calls him forth. The Bible says he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, rise up and stand forth in the midst. And the man, he arose and stood forth. Then Jesus said unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And looking round about upon them all, he said unto the man, stretch forth thy hand. And he did so. The Bible says that his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. The New Living Translation says it like this. They begin to discuss what they might do with him, what they might do with Jesus. If we could close our Bibles. With the help of the Holy Ghost this morning, I'm going to preach from that simple thought. What might we do with Jesus? If you'll bow your heads, God, we love you. We thank you for being a great God. We thank you for sitting on the throne. We thank you, Lord, for showing your love in this house this morning. God, we thank you that you gave your life. You showed it as the ultimate act of love for us. Lord, I'm asking right now that you would send your anointing. God, we need your anointing more than anything. Not so that we could get the glory, not so that we could be looked at and, and said something about, but God, simply because your anointing was sent here and given for a purpose. It was sent here to heal and to deliver, to set free. So God, I'm asking for your anointing to be upon me this morning. Touch lives, mend hearts, heal and deliver this morning. Let there be a demonstration of your power and your might in this house this morning. We thank you for it. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Somebody say in Jesus' name. Real quick, if you see me drinking a lot of water, some of you know I have had a massive toothache for the past three days, and cold water just somehow numbs it. So if I'm taking a lot of drinks this morning, that's why. If you're going to preach with me, you may be seated. In the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, we are confronted with a situation in which Jesus appears in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, where he begins to teach those that are around him. And while teaching, Jesus begins to take notice of a certain man that had a withered right hand. And Jesus, being Jesus and all, decides that today of all days is the perfect day for a healing. While to the outside eye, this may look altogether correct. It may look like, you're right, Jesus, this is the perfect time for a healing. Is that not why we come to church? And we look at it through the eye of modern society, and we see that there is not really any issue. But to understand what's about to happen, you must Look at the rigorous rules and illiberal laws of the Jewish society 
of that day when it pertains to the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was a law established by God in the Old Testament. And it was done so to ensure that humanity honors the day that God rested after the seven days or six days of creation, rather. This day was to start before sunset on Friday, and it was to last roughly 25 hours, ending at sunset on Saturday. During this time, it was prohibited for people to do basically any form of work, with very few exceptions. In fact, if you study it out, you will find that there are 39 different categories of work that are recorded in the Bible to be prohibited on the Sabbath. Amongst these are things like carrying, burning, cooking, washing, cleaning, tying, riding, plowing, planting, building, marking, skinning. And that's only a few of the 39 different categories that are prohibited on the Sabbath. And while if you study it out, you will find for all of these different things, specific scripture to prohibit these acts, it is interesting to note that there is no recording, there is no scripture, there is no innuendo by God or man until this day that healing was not lawful on the Sabbath day. In fact, if you read the same recording in the book of Matthew, chapter 12 and 10, the Pharisees actually asked the question. Now, mind you, the Pharisees are the people that knew the law better than anyone else. They were rigorous studiers of the law. And they asked the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Well, I've come to answer their question. It is absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, 100% lawful to heal on the Sabbath day. Understand with me that it was every bit of God's intention when he established the Sabbath day for healing to take place on the Sabbath day because it was the Sabbath day that was the day of healing. How do you know this? Well, what is the Sabbath? It is the day of rest. What is the first thing your doctor tells you to do if you're sick? Go home and get you some rest. So it was 100% lawful to heal on the Sabbath day. Isaiah tells us that this is the rest wherein the weary will find their rest and this is the refreshing. But nevertheless, we find in Luke chapter 6 and verse 7 that the scribes and the Pharisees watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day that they may find an accusation against him. And the story goes that Jesus, knowing the thoughts of the Pharisees, and even knowing the potential consequences of his actions to come, he calls the man forward with a withered hand. And he tells him, rise up and stand forth in the midst. And then in verse 10, he says, stretch forth thy hand. And the Bible records in the same verse that his hand was restored whole as the other. I've come to tell someone today that God is in this place 
to heal you. God is in this place to restore you. Understand with me that it was his intention whenever the Sabbath was created and whenever the modern society created the day of Sunday for the day to go to church, that you were to come to church to be restored, that you were to come to church to be healed, that you were to come to church to get the rest and the recuperation that you need. I've been to many things that are supposedly leisurely and they supposedly give you rest and they're supposed to restore you and they're supposed to make you feel good but I've never been to one thing that amounts or measures up to the times that I come and stand in the midst of a holy God that cares for me and that loves me and I begin to worship him and I begin to praise him and all of a sudden there's something that flows over me and it's called peace and it's called joy and it's called love and ultimately this is the rest wherein when I'm weary I find my rest Jesus said come all to me come all you to me that labor and that are heavy laden and I will give you rest that's what he's here for That's why in the book of Luke, chapter 6, Brother Noah, if you will put that scripture on here, Jesus came and he began to preach in the synagogue. He began to preach in the very first words that he said. He said that the spirit of the Lord, it is upon me because he hath anointed me. What has he anointed me to do? Understand, I think that sometimes we get confused about what the anointing is for. It's not just so that I can get up here and speak clearly and give a good little word that'll tickle your ears and make you feel good but Jesus said that's not what the anointing is here he said in the book of Luke chapter 6 I'm sorry I gave him the wrong scripture chapter 4 brother brother Noah the book of Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 Jesus said the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised I was praying earlier before church and God told me I'm going to anoint you but I'm not going to anoint you so that you can get the glory and look good but there's some broken people that need healing there's some broken hearted that need deliverance there's some chains that need to break and I've come to tell you the anointing is here to heal you to deliver you to break the chains liberty is here for you you know why liberty is here because this is a truth preaching church and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free You want liberty from the world, you put some truth in it. You want liberty from drugs, you put some truth in it. You want liberty from everything that binds you, you just put some truth in it. The book of Luke, all of that is recording. And they ask the question, what might we do with Jesus? And while... This circumstance should have been viewed as a miracle in which celebration and praise should have taken place. To the contrary, the Bible records in verse 11 that those Pharisees that were present were filled with madness 
and commune with one another what they might do with Jesus. I've just got to stop for a moment and testify. The pain in my tooth just left. I've come to tell you right now that healing and deliverance is in this place right now. I've been struggling with this for three days, but whenever the Spirit of the Lord showed up, when His healing came in here, He began to heal me, and I don't feel any pain, and the testimony of Jesus is the Spirit of prophecy. So I prophesy to you, if you've got pain in your body, it leaves now. If you've got issues, if you've got sickness, it will leave now. There's faith in this building. There's faith that I can talk to a mountain and I can say, get out the way, mountain, and it's going to remove itself. Healing is in the house. My God, have mercy. If you need healing, throw your hands in the air. And if there's someone that throws their hand in the air, somebody lay hands and speak the word of faith. And it shall heal the sick. God, right now in your name, I pray that the same faith, the same anointing that just healed me, let it flow in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Woo. Although Jews may have been the very first person amongst us to ask the question, what might we do with Jesus? They are most definitely not the last, nor the only to ask this question. It has become the question of the ages for many different religions, for many different people in different nations. Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, and as many as hear that beautiful name have all had to come to the conclusion of what they're going to do with the name of Jesus. And while all have some type of knowledge or understanding of this man named Jesus, all of the conclusions, somehow, they're different. So let me, I'll go with me just for a few moments and explore the different religions and their take on this man named Jesus Christ. In Judaism, they acknowledge that Jesus did exist, that he was born of a woman named Mary, but they deny her being a virgin. They knew Jesus to be a teacher, and he had many disciples. They knew Jesus to be a miracle worker, in fact, but claimed that his power came from the devil, or maybe the practice of witchcraft rather than God. And of course, they denied that Jesus was the Messiah or that Jesus was God. In Islam, they believe that Jesus is born of a virgin Mary. They believe that he should be revered as a prophet, and in fact, one of the most important prophets. They believe he is a divinely wise teacher, that he's a miracle worker. They believe that he actually did ascend into heaven, but he didn't die on the cross. And they even believe in the second coming of Jesus. In, Hindu, in Hinduism, they believe that Jesus was a holy man, that Jesus was a wise teacher. But Jesus is not the God, he's just a God. In Buddhism, Jesus was an enlightened man. Jesus was a wise teacher. Jesus was a holy man, but he is not seen as divine. And then we get to the greatest of them all, denominal Christianity. And in denominal Christianity, they simply believe that Jesus is just part of a triune Godhead, part of the Trinity, and they denote him down to simply being only the Son of God. And I know that they will try to argue and say that 
that Jesus is God, but he's not God, but he's the son of God, but they're all equal and they all have the same. Simply by saying that you're the son of God, it denotes your lack of power in accordance with God or the father. So that's what they, that's what they bring him down to. It has become quite clear that regardless of the title of one's religion, many, if not all, believe that Jesus existed in some form. To some, he was a teacher. To some, he was a holy man. To some, he was simply a miracle worker. To some, he was an enlightened man. To some, a wizard. And to some, he was demoted only to being the son of God. With this, it must become immensely obvious that while it may not be the only difference, and most definitely not the only one of importance, the greatest and most important difference amongst religions is revealed by answering this simple question, what do we do with this man named Jesus Christ? Will allow me the opportunity to set the record straight and clear the air. Regardless of any extra biblical reasoning behind any other religion or doctrine, it was, it is, and it will ever be established that Jesus Christ is God. That Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Deuteronomy tells us, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Isaiah 44 and 6 says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, the Lord of hosts, and his Redeemer. I am the first, and I am the last. And Beside me, there is no other God. Isaiah 48 and 11, it says, For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will, do, will I do it? For how should my name be polluted? I will not give my glory to another. But the Bible records in John 1 and 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And a few verses down, it says, And the Word was made flesh, and we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. Understand with me that God is not a liar, that he is truth, that he cannot lie according to the word of God. So when he says, I'm not going to give my glory to another, you have to understand that he never did because he became flesh and he had the glory. All the fullness of the God had bodily dwelt in him. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. For God was manifest in flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. He was preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in the glory. I understand that there are many teachings and there are many doctrines that will try to tell you differently. But Colossians warns us in chapter 2, and whatever Paul says, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily he has the father he has the son he has the Holy Ghost and it's all in Jesus his name is Jehovah his name is Yeshua his name is El Shaddai his name is Adonai his name is the Prince of Peace and the Lord of Lords his name his name if you want to just tie a bow on it it's Jesus Christ I like how one preacher said it. He said, I know a lot of men that would like to be God, but I'm thankful today that God became a man. He didn't send just another person. He didn't just sacrifice his son, but he became the son. <laughs> Secondly, the Bible, which is, in fact, the word of God, 
is the only book that is infallible. It is the only book that is eternal. It is the only book that is ever present. It is the Bible that keeps us relevancy regardless of the dealings of society and despite the changes of modern culture. The Bible goes beyond the scope of the Jewish Tanaka. It outperforms any writings of the Muslim Quran. It stands head and shoulders above any writings or teachings of the Buddhist Tipitaka. It surpasses every God, every God recorded in the Hindus Vedas. Jesus said that heaven and earth shall pass away but my word is going to stay forever the grass is gonna wither and the flowers gonna fade away but the word of the Lord it's gonna stand forever understand with me today that Jesus in some form is recorded or prophesied in the text of each of these religious books but the word of God there is no mention of Buddha there is no mention of Muhammad there is no mention of Brahma there is no mention of Vishnu there is no mention of Shiva there is no mention of Devi or Krishna it's all Jehovah, it's all Yeshua, it's all the Prince of Peace, it's all the Lord of Lord, and his name, his name is Jesus. It's the name that causes the hell to tremble. It's the name that casts out the demons. It's the name that's above every other name. It's the name that heals the brokenhearted. It's the name that delivers the addicted. And that name is So we know his name and we know the power behind that name. So now my question is simple. What might we do with Jesus? Jews crucified him. All the other religions, they either denied or denoted him. He's not God. He's simply a God amongst many, no greater, no lesser. They said, oh, he's just a prophet. He's just a wise man. He's just, he's just a, a spiritual counselor. He is the counselor, actually. But what, what should we do with him? First thing you got to do, you got to believe on him. You got to believe that he is, he is and he is a rewarder of him that diligently seek him. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Mark 16 and 16 says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. To believe is to have faith. They come from the exact same root word. And to have faith, the Bible says that with faith without works is dead, being alone. James tells us, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, if he have not works? Can faith alone save him? And again, even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. There is a parallel drawn between the word faith and the word believe used in John 3.16. So anyone that would try to say that because John 3.16 says all you got to do is believe on him and you're going to be saved, you have to point them straight to the word faith. And of course, faith without works is dead. It proves that in order for one to be saved, they must fall in love or fall in line with the works and the ways of Jesus Christ. Not just believe in him. Because if you really truly believe in him, you're going to believe every word that he speaks, and you're going to do everything that he says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We all know that that name is Jesus. If Jesus was right here, standing before you, 
and he said, follow me and do everything that I do. I believe we would all follow him and do everything that he does. Jesus is right here standing before you. His word has not changed. These letters have not changed. The word of God is a sure thing. I said it's a sure thing. It'll never change. It'll never fade away. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I believe that it's a good thing to ask the question, what might we do with Jesus? It's the same question. What might we do with the word of God? And I'll tell you what we ought to do with it. Follow it. Every jot and every tittle, everything that it says. If you believe on you believe on it. You got to hide it in your heart that you might not sin against him. Second thing you do, you meet this man named Jesus. You say, I believe in him. Well, you got to have faith. And that faith will lead you to something called repentance. And you'll begin to ask God for forgiveness. Acts 2 and 38, there was a man that stood up named Peter. And many of you, you, you're sitting here and you say, oh, we've heard this story a thousand times. It's still as good this time as it was the very first time I heard it, whenever I was three years old and could understand English. Acts 2.38, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, the very first time the Spirit of God had been poured out on man. And he says, there's three things you got to do. Because they had just crucified Jesus, you see. They had crucified the Savior. And they stood up and they said, men and brethren, what are we going to do? We've lost the very thing that came to save us. So what do we do? Peter stood up. He said, you've got to repent. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And you've got to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What is repentance? It is literally the remission or the washing away of your sins. So everything that you've done up to this moment, everything that is not for the Bible, but it is against Bible, all the unrighteousness that you have in your life, you simply say, God, and you mean it. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry that I've made a mess of my life. I'm sorry that I've allowed sin to enter into my world. I'm sorry that I've done all these things, but you can't just say it. You've got to turn away from your wicked ways, and that's the only time that he's going to hear you. And the Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive all your sins. The Bible says to repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. For when the time of refreshing is here, you've got to repent. Luke 13 and 3, Jesus says, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. 1 John 1 and 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And here's the thing. Whenever you do repent, just as we were singing about a moment ago, you have a God that loves you more than anything else. And he showed the greatest act of love whenever he was nailed to a cross. And he gave his life for you and for me. It was for the washing away of your sins. What do we do with him next? You got to be baptized in his name. John 3 and 5 says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus gives us the great commission. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Understand with me that whenever he told the disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, what he was saying is you already know who I am and you know who they are because they are me and I am they. The everything that I just named, it's in me. I am the Father and I am the Son and I am the Holy Ghost. The Great Commission was recorded in two other books of the Bible. I believe it was Matthew, Mark, and Luke were the three books. And in every single one of them, aside 
hide from this. He says you've got to baptize them in the name of Jesus. Or he says in my name you're going to cast out devils. In my name you're going to lay hands on the sick. Everything is in the name of Jesus. It's not just the Son of God. It's not just the third person in the Trinity. But all the fullness of the Godhead is in him bodily. It is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has all the power. Understand that there is never an instance of baptism recorded in the Bible in which a person was baptized in the titles Father, Son, or Holy Ghost. But in every single instance in the Bible, it was always in Jesus' name or in the name of our Lord or in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 2.38, Acts 8 and 12, Acts 19.5, Acts 22 and 16. The disciples understood who Jesus was in all of these things. In Matthew 28 and 19, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost and that that name of Jesus encompassed all of those titles because in him dwelleth all the fullness of them while some say that baptism is not a necessity for salvation I've come as an oracle of God himself to debunk this lie from the world and from hell Jesus himself said in John 3 and 5 while he was speaking to Nicodemus on the subject of salvation he said unless a man is born of the water and of the spirit he cannot even see the kingdom of heaven understand that there was a story where a man named Philip was going to teach and preach to a, a eunuch. God took him from where he was and brought him to a different place where a man was trying to study the Bible. And Philip said to him, you need some help with that. He said, yeah, I don't really understand it. And the Bible says he started where he was in Isaiah and began to preach Jesus. But the very last thing that happened before Philip was translated from where he was back to where he was before, the Bible says that that eunuch said there's water here what doth hinder me to be baptized and Philip took him down in the name of Jesus if baptism wasn't essential he would have left him after the Bible study but it's essential so he baptized him ensuring his salvation my God I feel the Holy Ghost in this house it's still here for you it's still a necessity for you if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, there is no greater feeling than having your sins remitted and washed away. Friends may remember, family may remember, cousins, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, they may remember, but God forgets them. Last thing you gotta do, you gotta get the gift of the Holy Ghost. You gotta receive his spirit is a gift. It's not something you gotta beg for or plead for, but it's a gift that's freely given. It's not just a gift, but it's a promise. I said it's a promise. And it's not just for those back in that day. Some people want to try and say that the spirit was just poured out for them and the signs and the miracles and the wonders. It was just for the people of that day. But he said that this promise is unto you and to your children and as many as the Lord our God shall call. I don't know about you, but I'm called. I don't know about you, but I'm chosen. I don't know about you, but I'm the elected. I'm that peculiar people and I believe the Holy Ghost is for me. And if it's for me, it's for you and you and you. Jesus says, in Matthew 28 and 20, he says, I am with you always, even into the end of the world. But was he? Because if Jesus is just the son, he says, I'm with you always. 
Well, didn't the Son ascend into heaven? So how could He be with us always? He didn't. He is also the Spirit. And it's the Spirit of God. The same thing that resurrected Jesus from the grave that brought Him out. It's the same thing that's going to live inside of us. And one day it's going to quicken our mortal bodies. And just as Jesus ascended, if you and I live a righteous life and we've repented and been baptized in Jesus' name and received the gift of the Holy Ghost, that same spirit is going to quicken our mortal bodies and we're going to be ascended up into heaven just as Jesus and with Jesus. Peter says you got to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Literally, the gift of the Holy Ghost is simply Jesus entering into your life, living inside of you. Back in the day, they had the temple. They had the tabernacle. And there were rigorous things they had to go through. They had to go to the altar and make sacrifices. They had to go to the laver, and they had to clean themselves. They had to go to the altar of incense, the table of shewbread, and all of this, and they had to get through the veil, all to get to the Holy of Holies. But you and I, we don't have to go through any of that, because the Holy of Holies lives inside of us. So all we got to do, that veil, that thing, that sin, that separates us from the Holy of Holies, you know what we got to do? We got to tear it away. We got to tear away every single sin that we have. We got to tear away every mistake that we've done. We've got to tear it all away because we want to get to the Holy of Holies and we want the Holy Ghost to live inside of us. And now you've got the Holy Ghost. You've spoken another time. Greatest feeling of your life, but you can't stop there because now we have something else we got to do. We got to live like him and we got to walk like him. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. Ephesians 4 and 22 says that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. 1 Peter 1 and 15, but as which he hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. You've got to walk in holiness because he walks in holiness. You've got to live a holy life because he lived a holy life. And he is a holy life. First Peter 2 and 21. For even hereunto where ye are called, were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Everything that he did, every word that he spoke, whenever he went to pray in the garden, it was an example that we should follow his steps. First John chapter, chapter 2 and 6, He that saith he abideth in him ought also so to walk, even as he walked. If you talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. You can't, you can't just blow smoke. You can't just talk the talk. But you got to walk like him and you got to live like him. Don't just talk about holiness, but live holiness. Breathe holiness. Follow holiness. If you're going to follow holiness, you got to be holy. 
And lastly, you got to do exactly what I'm doing up here in this pulpit. You can't just keep this thing in your heart and just for you. It's not just for you, but you got to preach about him. You got to take this word to the highway, and to the hedges, and to the byways, and you got to compel him to come. You got to preach truth. You got to live truth and love truth, but you also got to share it. You got to share the truth and love just as we did yesterday with the coach. You've got to share this gospel. For the Jews require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. But you know what we do? We preach Christ. And we preach him crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block. And unto the Greeks foolishness. Understand that there may be people in your life. That look at your preaching of the gospel. And they say it's foolishness what you're saying. But let me remind you. That God chose by the foolishness of preaching. To save all them that will hear. It might be a stumbling block to others. There may be people that get offended and get mad and get angry for many shall be offended by him. But let me tell you something today. When you begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's going to be souls saved. There's going to be people delivered. There's going to be bodies that are healed. There's going to be great things happen. All from the foolishness of this thing that we call preaching. I understand that I'm not the most attractive up here with sweat pouring down me and a red face and my hair may be a little bit messed up and I move around because I get excited and I get nervous so I swing my arm and I put my hand in my pocket and I look a little bit foolish but if you could just grab a hold of and understand the gospel that I'm preaching it's a gospel that changed my life it's a gospel I'm passionate about because it healed me where I stand and God chose me to look a little bit foolish so that you can have that healing, so that you can have that greatness in your life. Thank Jesus explained himself pretty well in John chapter 14, where he said, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, ye may be also. And whither I go, know ye, go ye know. And the way ye know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we not know whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? But Jesus answered and said unto him, here's how you're going to know the way. I am the way. I am the truth I am the life and no man's gonna come to the father unless they follow me and do what I do and say what my word says so today I have come to preach to every single person, whether you be believer or unbeliever, theist or atheist, every culture, every ethnicity, every color, and yes, even every religion, that no matter what the question, Jesus is the answer. Hear me, whether you be young or old, whether you be male or female, rich or poor, Jesus is the answer. You can take that man named Jesus and you can add him into any equation and get the same answer 
answer regardless of the, the counterpart of that equation Jesus said that I am come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly so you can take your brokenness and your empty dried up dead life and add a little bit of Jesus to it and you get life and life more abundantly you can take bitterness plus Jesus and it equals abundant life a broken heart plus Jesus equals abundant life a broken spirit plus Jesus equals abundant life a heavy heart plus Jesus equals abundant life bring your poverty bring your tiredness bring your brokenness bring your bitterness bring your hurt bring your church hurt bring your anger bring whatever you gotta bring but whatever you bring don't forget to add you a little bit of Jesus with that because what other things will cause death when you add Jesus to it it's life and life more abundantly every single Jew that has felt bound by an unforgiving law. I give you the fulfillment of those laws, Jesus. Every Muslim that has never felt the love of their creator, I give you love himself, Jesus. Every Buddhist that strives for inner peace but has never known the God of peace, I give you Jesus. Every Hindu that has been confused by a multiplicity of gods, I give you the one and only God, Jesus. To every agnostic that knows that there is something or someone else there but they don't know what it is I give you that person I give you Jesus to every atheist that they've been bound by sickness and they've been bound by anger and bitterness and confusion I give you Jesus I feel him walking in this room. He's in the back row. He's in the aisle. He's in the middle row. He's in the front. He's everywhere. Jesus is here for you. If we could all stand and the music come, Jesus is here to heal you. He is here to deliver you. He is here to fix you. He's here to mend you. You know what the difference is between us and all the other religions? What might you do with Jesus? The difference is the one who made the difference because he paid the difference. Whenever he died on that cross, 1 Corinthians 6 and 20 says that he, he paid for your sins. He paid for them. He paid a price that you could not pay. He paid the ultimate price. He gave his life. And if there is anyone in here that you have spent your life looking and searching. And maybe you've heard his name before. Maybe you've heard the name of Jesus. But you simply didn't know what to do with him. I've given you the answer today. Believe in him. Believe in him. Ask him for forgiveness. Be baptized in his name. Be buried with him in baptism. And receive ye the gift of the Holy Ghost. But for those that have already gone through that. You can't stop there. You've got to live like him. And you've got to walk with him. You've got to walk the way of holiness. You've got to walk on that road to of holiness. There is another highway. And the Bible says it's the highway to hell. But I choose holiness. I choose purity. I choose righteousness. I choose Jesus.
But don't stop there, Truth Church. We got to take this gospel, this thing that we call holiness, this thing that's the salvation for the world, and we got to preach it to our neighbors. We got to preach it on our job. We got to preach it on our schools, TSM. We got to preach it everywhere that we go. Because there may be a Jew or a Greek or a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Muslim or a denominal Christian and they've had this answer their entire lives. They've had this question their entire lives. What might we do with Jesus? And now you get to be the one that looks foolish because you're going to take this gospel and you may get a little antsy and you may get a little, little nervous and you may look a little bit crazy and you may be a stumbling block to some and, and you, may be, you may be the one that just looks like a fool to everybody else but there is nothing greater than sharing the truth in love there is nothing greater when you're sitting across the 80 year old man that hasn't lived for God his entire life and you begin to talk to him about the baptism in the name of Jesus Christ and the infilling of the Holy Ghost and how you can't just repent once but you've got to die daily as Paul says and you see the big old tears well up in the eyes of a man that, that, that believes he's known the truth his whole life but he never chose what he should do with Jesus and he never was baptized in his name and he begins to tell you I think I've had it all wrong my entire life Life. and I think that I need to get to a church and be baptized in the name of Jesus there's nothing greater than sending across from a woman a Walmart parking lot as she pulls out pours out her heart to you about her life that's been shattered and messed up and you begin to feel the unctioning of the Holy Ghost and to, and to foolishly preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to her and tell her about the Holy Ghost that will bring peace and love and joy to her as we all make our way to the altar We all know now what Jesus did for us. And we know the question that the Pharisees asked him amongst themselves. But now I ask you the same question. Truth Church, believer, sinner, backslider, I ask you the same question. What might you do with this man named Jesus Christ? I, gave you a man, I give you a man that has freely given his life for you, who robed himself in flesh. He was nailed to a cross simply for your sins and mine. And all you have to do is make up in your mind what you're going to do with him. What might we do with Jesus? They scream, crucify him! Put those nails in his hand. Put those stripes on his back. Put that crown of thorns on his head. Are we going to scream the same thing? Just cast him away. Throw him to the dirt. He's not important. Crucify him. You say, oh, he's already been crucified. Hebrews tell us that we can crucify him afresh. If, you, if you've tasted of that heavenly gift, You've received the gift of the Holy Ghost and you begin to walk away from him. You know what you're doing? Another stripe on his back. Put the crown of thorns in his head further. Crucify him. 
No. I want to walk with him. I want to live with him. I want to live for him. It's easy to say I would die for him, but would you live for him? Every single day of your life, what might you do with the creator, with the master, with the healer? What might we do with Jesus? I think it would be a good time if you don't have the Holy Ghost. I know this has kind of shifted, but if you don't have the Holy Ghost and you've never been baptized in his name, I've come to tell you that he wants to wash away your sins and he wants to fill you with, your, with his spirit. He wants to do that. And all you've got to do, there's some prayer partners around here and they'll come and pray for you. All you've got to do is raise your hands and ask God for forgiveness and he'll forgive you. And you just got to let Brother Trevor or Brother Jonathan or anybody in this church know, hey, I want to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and we'll put you in that baptistry and we will bury you with him in baptism. And your life is never going to be the same but if you are in truth church and you haven't been living for him and you haven't been walking with him and you haven't been sharing the truth and love I beg you I plead with you please decide today what you might do with the master what you might do with Jesus